This is Father Kevin Hale with the homily for the 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time, the 22nd of October. Well, there's nothing that quite excites us more than the subject of taxation. The level of taxes and how our taxes are spent. We all know that we need taxes, that we have to pay them, but at the same time we may question the way that they are spent. And that's the context in which Jesus delivers one of his most famous one-liners. Give unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, and to God the things that belong to God. Context is often everything when it comes to discussing things that are controversial. So we know as a group the Pharisees didn't care much for Jesus, and he certainly didn't care much for them. They were always trying to entrap him, smug, uncompromising and overbearing. Any opportunity they could find was an occasion to try to bring him down. Jesus, without rejecting anything they held, represented something different, namely a making plain of the heart of the law, which is living in friendship with God. So we see a contrast in two visions of religion. As a result, the Pharisees are out to get him, and they concocted a very clever plot. The Jews were being made to pay a tax to the distant emperor in Rome, an unpopular tax. If Jesus says the tax is okay, then he will alienate many of his followers who see him as establishing the kingdom of God, something different and distinct. But if he says no, the temple tax is not legitimate, then the Herodians will hear him and report him back to their superiors as a seditious revolutionary. Either way, they think they've got him. But Jesus, with infinite deftness, evades the dilemma with his famous comeback. Give to Caesar what belongs to him and to guard the things that belong to God. I think that we have to reflect here on the meaning of what a lot of people mean when they call themselves religious. Down through the ages, Christians have identified this kind of problem as one of the worst. The medievals called it odium theologicum, which is a, a theological hatred. And they identified this as the worst form of hatred because when you hate for religious or theological reasons, there's a very special intensity. Someone has got a different religious opinion to me, and I want not, not just to express a different opinion, I want to destroy them. At its extreme, this gives rise to the gross acts of terrorism that we've witnessed in the West in recent times. But in lesser forms, it gives rise to character assassination, cruel words meant to hurt, insinuations meant to derail someone's career. We all know the kind of thing. Religious people are often accused of this kind of behaviour, and people, often not without some justification, say that religion has been the cause of so much fighting in the world. If you doubt this, take a look at a lot of religious journals nowadays, and especially websites and blogs. The amount of venom that these things generate often shocks you and puts you off. But here is a basic principle. You can't serve the God of love by hating people. If you're trying to serve the God of love, you can't do it by hating others, because in the very act of setting them up for destruction, trying to trap them, you undermine the God that you're claiming to proclaim.
true religion of the Christian variety bears the fruits of goodness and holiness. I heard some very touching anecdotes from our parish mission last week, which demonstrate this to me. Last week, for instance, Father Hugh was telling me about a young family that he met outside of Mass. And this family had five young children, and one of the youngest was tagging on, tugging on his father's shoulder um, and, and sleeve, saying to him, Daddy, is that, is that the man we heard on the telephone? What he's referring to is the fact that each night during the mission, the family used to sit round the table at home, light a candle, and listen to the podcast of the mission talk, because the family didn't want to bring the children to the church in case they were disruptive. Another lovely moment was the all-night vigil that our young people put on. Father Hugh told me how he went down to the church very early in the morning, five o'clock, to pray his breviary. And as he went into the church, he found two young people kneeling in adoration before the Blessed Sacrament, which had been exposed all through the night. And he went to celebrate Mass for them at Our Lady's altar, a Mass at dawn, and explained the significance of celebrating Mass facing east, the face, facing the direction of the rising sun, symbolising the risen Christ, and how this gave complete meaning to the offering of the Eucharistic sacrifice. At the end of the Mass, one of the young people said to him, Father, that was the most beautiful Mass I've ever attended. The young people offered that prayer vigil for vocations to the priesthood and religious life. So faith, when lived, brings with it the fruits of goodness and holiness. It changes our lives for the good. It changes the way we see things, the world and everything in it. Now, we're always free to hold our views and to have opinions, so long as Christ is informing who we are and what we say and do. This must be true of everything, and especially of governments and of nations. Sometimes there are complex questions that we have to face, both as nations and as individuals. But the solutions are always to be found in the fundamental question of, is God absolute in my life or not? Is Jesus my first and last concern, or is it something else? But in the spiritual order, things don't always appear so simple. One of those areas is that relationship between the church and the state, or between religion and politics. We've been fighting through this in every century of the church's life. But there is a distinction between the religious and the temporal world. Both have their own legitimate sphere of influence and operation, and both are separate, but can and should influence how the other functions. When Pope Benedict stood in Westminster Hall some seven years ago now, addressing both Houses of Parliament, he said this, Religion is not a problem for legislators to solve, but a vital contributor to the national conversation. In this light, I cannot but voice my concern at the increasing marginalisation of religion, particularly of Christianity, that is taking place in some quarters, even in nations which place a great emphasis on tolerance. There are those who would advocate that the voice of religion be silenced, or at least relegated to the purely private sphere. 
There are those who argue that the public celebrations of festivals, such as Christmas, should be discouraged, in the questionable belief that it might somehow offend those of other religions or none. And there are those who argue that Christians in public roles should be required at times to act against their conscience. These are worrying signs of a failure to appreciate not only the rights of believers to freedom of conscience and freedom of religion, but also the legitimate role of religion in the public square. I would invite all of you, therefore, within your respective spheres of influence, to seek ways of promoting and encouraging dialogue between faith and reason at every level of national life. In this way, governments and church can operate independently of each other, and they should. But in the final analysis, everything belongs to God, since God is the creator of all things, including Caesar. Everything is ultimately under the spiritual and moral canopy of God. That's why the church has been able to speak about injustice and oppression in all its forms, independently down the centuries. That is something of an answer to this complex question that Jesus poses, not an either or, but a rather eloquent and fascinating both and. Give to Caesar the things that belong to him, and to God the things that belong to God. Mary shows us by her life this perfect model of someone who lived in harmony with God and with their fellow human beings. She can also teach us how to live in sensitivity towards others, never compromising the truth, but always offering it with the charity which she personifies. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, grant that we may always conform our will to yours and serve your majesty in sincerity of heart. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.